This morning's presentation is entitled "Stronger Than Our Fears." Stronger than our fears. If you have your Bibles, please turn me to our opening text to Exodus chapter two, verse twenty-three. Exodus chapter two, verse twenty-three is our opening text. We're talking about being delivered. We're talking about experiencing freedom. Last night, we talked about experiencing freedom from the expectations of other people, what they expect you to do so they can manipulate you or guilt trip you to do what they want you to do. This morning, Jared talked about being free from the bondage of legalism and um, doing works in order to get God's approval and acceptance and salvation. And I want to focus on something that I feel is very important that we all struggle with, and that is fear. And Satan uses fear today to get God's people. Slavery. What a horrible condition to be in. According to the ILO, or the International Labor Organization, there are an estimated around 21 million men, women, and children around this world who are in some form of slavery today. Now let me ask yourself, what's so horrible about slavery anyway? Well, there's an ex-slave called Herod Jacobs. And she wrote this book, and she wrote in a book of her experiences as being a slave here in the United States. She said that her slave master was very, a very cruel person. He never cared for his slaves, neither did he do anything to benefit them. In fact, he would intentionally cause them much pain and much suffering. You see, what makes slavery so bad is that people who live in slavery have been conditioned to live in a constant fear. And the same way today, there are many people who day, today, today who are living as slaves who don't even realize it, for they too have been conditioned to live in a constant fear. You know, a friend of mine shared with me recently, about a month ago, and I was visiting, passing through, and we were staying with them, this couple, and she was sharing with me that she lived with fear as a Christian. And I'm going to read to you what she wrote to me, actually. And she says this. Fear is a very real difficult area of our lives as Christians. Even though you carry it locked up away in your mind, in your heart, yet it still controls decisions you make every day in life. Continue quoting what she wrote. She says, It's a difficult subject to bring to others and let alone bring to God. I know that as a Christian, we shouldn't have fear. But what happens when real, tangible life experiences, like a death of a newborn child, or a death of a young, vibrant, single mother of three happens? That's exactly what happened to me. For soon after the death of my dear friend, and also the death of my, another good friend's baby, who's only a month older than my own son, I found myself with this overwhelming fear. It took me a long time to take it to God because my God was bigger than death, and yet, why did they die? 
Fear from my experiences paralyzed my connection with God. The loss of these precious and dear friends was so heartbreaking. To this day, my heart still mourns for their loss. I am still learning what it means to have God in the midst of this reality on earth. See, beloved, fear is a real thing. And as we're going to be studying it this morning, we realize that we all are plagued with this fear. But there's a solution because there's a God who can overcome all fear. What do you say? Amen? So as we see the fears that control us and the love that can set us free from this slavery, may God help us to see this love is our prayer. Let us pray. Father, help us to see your character more clearly this morning. Help us to see your love and I pray, Father, that you may speak and true deliverance and true freedom may be granted to everyone here and myself as I speak. In Jesus' name we ask, amen. So we're going to go back to the children of Israel. So turn me to Exodus chapter 2, verse 23. How horrible was slavery to the children of Israel? And what did they do and how did they respond? Look what the Bible says here. And it came to pass in process of time that the king of Egypt died and the children of Israel sighed by reason of the bondage or the slavery and they cried and the cry came up unto God by reason of the bondage. In other words, the children of Israel, God's chosen people, had come to the point where their slavery had become so terrible, so horrible in their experience. They had cried and sighed and cried for deliverance from the bondage and the slavery that they're experiencing as slaves. They desired for freedom. Now, why do slaves desire to be free? Well, here are some of the conditions that the slave masters keep their slaves in. If you look in your handout, um, you had two handouts. One was for last night for those who missed it, but there's one for stronger than our fears. And we look at there, I put some conditions here. When slaves could not make their own decisions, slaves were forced to serve another with no benefit to themselves. Slaves had to work every day as commanded. Slaves had no time of their own, number four. Number five, slaves could rest only when allowed. And six, slaves had no future. So these were the conditions of the slavery in the United States back then, and this was the conditions of the slaves of Israel at that time also. So in her book, Harriet, she wrote about slavery because she shared her experiences, and she said this, I want to convince, in your handout, I want to convince the people of the free states what slavery really is. Only by experience can anyone realize how deep and dark and foul is that pit of abominations. Then it goes on and she says, she also said, I was made for his use, made to obey his command in everything, that I was nothing but a slave whose will must and should surrender to his. But beloved, Herod wasn't the only one who experienced slavery. In the same way, fear is also a horrible slave master. What do you say, huh? Amen. For it too is a deep, dark, and foul pit of abominations. And sin also is a horrible slave master. Can you hear amen? Amen? And it's not addictions also a horrible and terrible slave master. And Satan uses fear to get us into this condition. He uses fear as a slave master so that you obey his every command. He uses fear as a slave master so that you can be controlled for his use. He uses fear as a slave master so that your will would be surrendered to him. I want to be set free. How about you? What do you say? Amen? 
True freedom, true deliverance. Deliver me, O God. The theme of this whole conference. Deliver me from the fear that Satan has put in our lives. You know, the people, they they cried out for this this freedom. And Moses came down and Aaron, right? And they granted him. um, They said, we're going to deliver you. And they got excited and they worshiped God. And they're so excited they're going to be set free. And, but when Pharaoh found out that they're going to be set free, do you think that Pharaoh said, hey, you want to be set free? Hey, go right ahead and be set free and leave. You think that's what happened? No, actually, we're told that they were supposed to make these bricks. Remember that in the Bible in Exodus? And as they're supposed to make these bricks, Pharaoh said, oh, you want to be set free, huh? You want to be delivered, like the Deliver Me conference? You want to be delivered, huh? You want to escape the crutches of my control, guess what? Not only do you have to make bricks, how hard it was as a slave, I'm going to require you to make bricks, and I'm not going to provide the straw that I once used to provide for you to make your bricks. In fact, in other words, it went from bad to worse. And those of us who seek to be delivered from whatever addictions and to be delivered from sin and to be delivered from the root cause, which is fear, is only going to get worse before it gets better. But it does get better. What do you say? Amen? So they were struggling. And those people who are actually out there who seek to be delivered, it does, it does get worse. I was counseling this one lady who was experiencing domestic violence in her life. Um, she had come to our school, the prophets. And it's so interesting that, you know, we're going to the school and out of People, there was a time when we had a time where we prayed for the people who wanted specific prayer. And this, this lady came forward and said, actually two people in that, in that group that came, they were sharing that they actually had physical abuse and domestic violence. And one of them was actually from a member from one of my old churches where I used to pastor, and I had no clue. And so I remember her lifting up her leg and showing me, and not only from her husband, but from her own son used to abuse her. And she lifted up her pants to me in that counseling session, showed me, and there I saw bruises on her leg. There's something about abuse. You know, with domestic violence, I have a police officer, I brought him to the school to share about domestic violence. But it's something about control and abuse. When, it's just like the Israelites. When Pharaoh felt his control over the people, his control over someone was going to be taken away, his abuse increased. And police officers is a statistic in the police force from the police statistics. It says that whenever an abuser, whatever abuse, sexual abuser, physical abuser, verbal abuser, psychological abuser, and even spiritual abusers in the church, Whenever abusers lose control or think they're going to lose control of a situation, police statistics says that violence increases by 70%. So the moment they feel like the police is called on them and they're going to lose control over their husband or control over their wife about a specific situation of controlling them, violence increases by 70%. So the police, when they go into like a, a, a deadly situation, you know, I, my friend, he retired from the police force. He said the most dangerous situation he could ever go into believe it or not, was actually a domestic violence call. When a couple is fighting in a home, or a boyfriend and girlfriend is fighting, or a husband and wife is fighting and is getting out, escalating, and is getting out of control, and that's the most dangerous situation. And when he goes in that situation, you know, he said he would never go alone. And so he'll look and peer into the window and kind of see what's going on before he goes into the, knocks on the door. And he said he's almost certain, he's just waiting for 
some, the violence to escalate in that situation. That's what Satan does when he, you seek freedom also. Violence will increase. It goes about like a roaring lion. And violence is going to increase when you seek to be delivered and, and Satan's trying to not let, let you go. He, violence is going to increase. He's going to increase it much more so because he doesn't want you to be set free. But Jesus has come to set you free and you shall be free indeed. What do you say? Amen? And he will set you free. You know, the next thing that happened in Israelites... When they, Pharaoh made it harder, what did Israelites do when that things got bad? Did they go, oh, God, thank you that it's getting bad and persecution's coming, but give us more faith so we can go through it. Is that what they did? What did they do? They blamed God, and who else did they blame? The very people, Moses and Aaron, who had come to set them free. You know, there's another interesting thing about abusers and those who have been abused. They were in slavery, but when they were being set free by God and Moses and Aaron, they were so excited, and they were, the Bible says they actually worship God because they're going to be set free. But when things got worse, they not only blamed God, but they also blamed the people who had come to set them free. You know, my friend also says when he goes to domestic violence calls and he went as a police officer and he went inside the home, very interesting. He said, not only would the abuser, the one who was abusing the spouse, turn on him as a police officer and get violent at times, but he said, even the person who was abused, who had called him for help, would also turn on him also. In fact, he said what he had to do is that he had to separate the couples. What they would normally do is they'll separate a couple into one person in one room and put the other person in the other room, right? And separate the two. Why? Because all she needs to see, or all he needs to see is, all she needs to see is one look from the husband, and she knows that what's going to happen next when the police officer leaves. And I asked him, why would she turn on you? He said, because she wants to make it seem. Like, hey, wait a minute, I know this situation got out of hand and everything, but you know, honey, I'm still on your side. Kind of to earn favor so it won't get so bad in the end. And he said it would be heartbreaking that the one who had called for help and the one who had come to help them was the very one that had become abused by the one who had been abused. And thus, they blamed Moses and Aaron, the very ones who had come to set them free. Beloved, God wants to set us free this morning. I want to be set free. How about you? What do you say? Amen? Amen. So what did the people of Israel finally do? Look at Exodus chapter 12, verse 51. Exodus chapter 12, verse 51 in your Bibles. Notice the Bible says here, it says, And it came to pass the selfsame day that the Lord did bring the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt by their armies. In other words, Israel was finally set free. What do you say? Amen? They escaped the bondage and the slavery of Egypt. And this is reflected on God's church as we enter into the heavenly Canaan. But this was 40 years earlier. And God has set them free and they began their journey. It was a, it was a long journey for sure, 40 years. But it began their journey nevertheless. And they began to escape from the control and abuse and the fear that ran their lives from the Egyptians. 
You see, not only did the Israelites sigh and cry to be delivered from their slavery, but they actually did something about it, and they left Egypt and their slave masters. And beloved, it's not only good to hear about what, how horrible it is to be in slavery, but beloved, we need to do something about it. What do you say, amen? God wants us to experience this freedom. Harriet Jacobs, the one I shared with you earlier, wrote that book. Not only despised slavery, but she also did something about it. Now, she writes about in the book about she resisted the horrors of slavery. And how she did it was, rather than being a slave, she ran away, but not far away because she couldn't really escape. So she went into in this roof, this small little shed, and it was made where they covered up the roof part. And she went and lived in there for seven years. The air, she said, was so stifling that she suffered more for air than for light. She easily slept on one side, was so tight in there, but she could not turn over to the other side without hitting the room on the side. While she slept, she said the rats and the mice would run over her bed. She would often hear her children below, but she could not speak to them for seven years. She said, I heard the voices of my children, and I quote, it's in your handout. There was joy and there was sadness in the sound. It made my tears flow. How I longed to speak to them. I was eager to look on their faces, but there was no hole or crack to which I could peep. This darkness was oppressive. It seemed horrible to sit or lie in a cramped position day after day without one gleam of light. And then she ends with this. Yet, I would have chosen this rather than my lot as a slave. What would lead someone to live in this condition for seven years up in this small little tight space and sleep there and, and just breathe and just cry out for this air, just to breathe? What would lead someone to live in this condition for seven years rather than to live the life of a slave? Unless you realize how horrible and how terrible and how degrading the life of a slave really is. And she finally saw it. And beloved, my question is, do we realize how horrible and how terrible and how miserable it is to be the slave of Satan and sin and addictions? Do we really sense the need that we would rather go through that and be set free? I want to be set free. How about you? What do you say? Amen? And there's a way to be set free. So turn me to 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. This was actually a scripture reading for this, this morning by my daughter. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. Notice the Bible says, what has God not given to us? 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. Notice the Bible says here. For God has not given us the spirit of what? Fear. So has God given us a spirit of fear? If God has not given us a spirit of fear, then my next question is this. Who has given us the spirit of fear? Satan has. So it's not God, but it's actually Satan who has given us this spirit of fear. Now, what do you have when you don't have fear? So look at the next, continue on in the verse. God has not given us the spirit of fear, okay? 
but, or the opposite, but of what? Power. So in other words, the first thing is this. There's three things here. So the first thing is that when you don't have fear, right, you have power. But if you have fear, then you have what? You have no power. And that is so true. You see, whenever we're afraid, the brain's fear circuit, the amygdala, activates. And when this activates, we experience what we learn as a fight-or-flight syndrome. You heard of that before, right? In, probably in high school or college, right? Fight-or-flight. So it's a reaction that normally happens that God has implanted in our brain. Now, how many have ever gone before like a group of people, whether it's your speech class in college or whether it's actually a toast for a wedding or maybe a, a sermon at a church and you actually kind of like froze? Let me see your hands out there. Well, how many I think you would actually freeze? Let me see your hands out there. If you actually would go in front of the people. You just kind of froze. You didn't do anything. Or actually, you stumbled upon your presentation. You see, what happens here is that the fear circuit is fired, right? And it paralyzes your prefrontal cortex, which is your thinking circuit. It's a natural reaction. And God has given this. And the reason why God has allowed this is because there's a time where... You don't have time to think, but you just need to react to a certain situation. For example, what if you're walking like in New York City, and you walk in, and all of a sudden you just kind of look up, and there you see a big grand piano falling from the sky directly towards you. What if you were like to say, there's no amygdala, and what if you were to say, oh, wait a minute, hmm, how fast is that going? And how long would it take before it hits me, right? What happens if you kind of think it through? And God has given us that mechanism, right? A fight or flight where you actually react and jump out of the way before you even think. Praise God for that. What do you say, amen? amen? So there is a purpose for that. But the danger is when we live in a constant fear, which paralyzes us from growing spiritually and emotionally. We become paralyzed. That's why fear is the foundation of even breaking all the Ten Commandments. It all is founded upon a fear of want. If you're looking for a root cause of sin, fear is that root cause. What do you mean? Let me give you an example. For example, you know that you shouldn't break one of the Ten Commandments that says, thou shalt not lie. But fear of people finding out what you did paralyzes you so that you lie. Are you following me? If that's clear, let me say Amen? Amen? You know you should confront that abusive elder in the church for offending you, but fearing how he will respond to you paralyzes you, and thus you don't follow Matthew 18. Can you hear amen? Amen? You know you should keep the Sabbath day holy, but fear of not having money and providing for your family paralyzes you. Therefore, you work on the Sabbath to earn money. You know God wants you to have intimacy with Him and with your spouse and with one another, your family members. But fear of getting your heart hurt once again keeps your walls built up around your heart so it doesn't get hurt again. Can somebody say amen? Amen? And God has not given us a spirit of fear. 
it is Satan, the destroyer, but a, a power to be set free. I want that power. How about you? What do you say? Amen? What is another thing you have when you don't have fear? Notice the Bible says, continue in verse 7. So God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a power and of what? Love. So the opposite of fear is what? Love. When you don't have fear, you have love. But when you have fear, you don't have what? Love. In other words, an atmosphere of fear destroys love. You know, I noticed that there have been many people who have been abused who have told me physically abused and emotional abused and psychological abused in, in families and homes. And they have told me that they have absolutely no more love for their spouse anymore. And the reason why is this. When you think, like J.R. was saying this morning, when you use manipulation and guilt and people are listening to you because fear of hurting your feelings, or fear of being neglected by you, or fear of getting a cold shoulder by you, or fear of you not being accepted by your spouse. When you're doing those things, when you do all these manipulations and guilt trips, love disappears. Because fear and love cannot exist together. And the more there's external manipulation and control, whether it's in the home, whether it's in a family, whether it's in a couple, whether it's in a church, whenever we create an environment of fear, it destroys love in that home and in that church and in your walk. And the worst disservice we have ever done is not only the things that we have done in the home, but when we have created a false picture of God by the environment that God is a God to fear. Because when we create an environment where God is a God to fear, then fear and love cannot exist together. And therefore, love is destroyed out of the church. And love is destroyed out of the home. And this is the reason why we've seen so many young people not only leave the church, but also leave God. For we're made an image of God which cannot be loved. And the third thing here in this text what else do you have when you don't have fear? Look at verse 7 and continue on. It says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a what? Sound mind. In other words, when we don't have fear, we have a what? Sound mind. But if we have fear, then we have what? An unsound mind or mental illness. Is that not true? You know, there is classified 530 different phobias and fears out there that constantly ruin people's lives. 530 classified, documented phobias of fears that consume and control people today. The Bible says that in the last days, people's hearts will be failing them for fear. Why? Because fear paralyzes. When our hearts fail, we become discouraged. And when we discourage, we become paralyzed. How many of you have ever met someone who knows someone right now who's actually discouraged? Who's hurting? How many of you have ever been discouraged or the things were discouraging to you? Felt like it was a hopeless situation. I have. I've been there. You see, the reason why people are anxious for the future and they have anxiety because they have fear of what may happen in the future and they think about it all the time. That's why they have anxiety. It's based upon fear, the foundation, unsound mind. 
And when it happens, anxiety happens over and over and over. It comes to the point where not only do they think that something bad is going to happen, they become so discouraged, they actually know that something bad is going to happen, and life becomes hopeless, and they become depressed. And so fear is the foundation, the root causes, and Satan uses fear, and he knows that love is God's main motive in how he works. What a God. What do you say, Amen. And Satan, the motive, the root, root, root cause of everything is fear. And Satan uses fear not only for the world, but he gets it for even Christians. And the final crisis in the last days is going to be over fear because he's going to use fear that, hey, wait a minute, I can't survive in this world without buying and selling. I don't know if I can make it in the last days because I'm too afraid what's going to happen. Or I don't know if I'm going to go through it and and see it through because I don't know if I can actually give up my life and die for God because I'm just too afraid. And Satan is just pounding us with fear and fear and fear. A young lady came to me for advice and prayer after my presentation at one of our youth conferences. And she shared to me that she was a leader of leaders, a young lady, not even married, single young lady. And she shared to me that she was a leader of leaders, of young people and programs and everything. And she said to me this. She wanted healing in her life. Because even though as a leader, she said, says, I am on depression pills. I'm depressed in what I'm going through. And not only that, but I see my other leaders under me who are leading out this, these programs, these student programs under me, and they're, they're under me, and I see my leader hurting, and I have no clue how to help my fellow leaders under me. Beloved, God has given us His truth and His word that God can heal us of all illnesses. What do you say? Amen. And fear is a major component. What are you afraid of today? What are you afraid of this morning? What is it that Satan's using to plague you? How does Satan paralyze you? What is it? Everyone is different here. Everyone has different fears. But what specific fear or fears are there in your life that actually Satan uses to paralyze you? You know, they have many phobias, right? Arachnophobia, scared of spiders. I'm afraid of spiders. How many are scared of spiders out there? Let me see your hands. It's not only a little bit of people. I saw the statistics. It's pretty high. <laughs> I guess I'm scared of snakes too. <laughs> nice in Hawaii, there's no poisonous snakes. Do you know that? And there's not really any poisonous spiders. There is, I guess, some kind of cousin of the brown spider that I heard has kind of come in a little bit. But there's no poisonous snakes. There's no animals out there, mountain lions and bears that can kill you. And, you know, you know we get all fearful. When we become fearful when we come here to the mainland. You know, even in a big city, like, you know, is there something coming? <laughs> so there's 530 documented different type of phobias or fears out there. And I'm so happy when I go back to Hawaii and, you know, I don't have these other fears to worry about. But what are you afraid of today? Were you raised in a home where your father wasn't there? Or maybe he was there, but he really wasn't there in presence and time. And you feel that your husband or your your wife is not going to be there for you. And they too were going to leave. 
And though you protect your heart, your heart's been hurt. You put a wall around your heart also, so it doesn't want to be hurt again. And though you, you don't want to be intimate with anyone around, you want to be independent because it, it hurts too much to be hurt again. So if I don't let myself out, if I don't become vulnerable, if I don't allow intimacy to come into my life, then, you know, that's good for me because that means I'm not going to be hurt again and I don't want to be hurt again. Is that you? Maybe you're scared of what's going to happen in the last days and you're plagued with the fears that's going on and what's happening and what's going to happen in the last days. Is that you? Maybe you're kind of terrified by the, the terrorism that's going on out there, radical Islam that's going on out there. You know, this is recently happening here in San Bernardino, San Bernardino, which is so close to here. There's something there about fear that just paralyzes us and it takes away our freedom and to live life in abundance. There's a solution, beloved, and that's found in God. What do you say? Amen? So turn to 1 John chapter 4, verse 18. 1 John chapter 4, verse 18. And the question is, what does perfect love do? 1 John 4, verse 18, verse 8. Notice what it says here. There is no fear in what? Love. In other words, fear and love cannot live together. Can you hear amen? Amen? Fear and love cannot live together. I have a friend who said, when she reads this text, what she's seeing from this text is this. She's seeing that when she reads this text, in 1 John 4, verse 18, that she's seeing that, what, there's no fear and love, therefore, you know what, I have fear in my life, therefore, I feel like God is scolding me, like, you should know better. You should know better that, you know, if, because you have fear, you shouldn't have fear as a Christian, and therefore, you should have love only. And she feels like she's rebuked and scolded by God, she told me. Not only having fear, but you're adding guilt to that fear that you already have, these negative emotions. But I believe, that is not what I believe that this text is saying. What this text is saying to me is that when you have fear, there is actually hope for you and me. What do you say, amen? When I look at this text, I, say, I feel like, wait, I told totally, it, no, I don't see that in this text. I see that, I feel like when I'm afraid of something or something's going to happen to me or, or the fear of something that to break God's law, what I see is that there is actually hope that God's love is going to set me free. And I want to be set free. How about you? What do you say, Amen. What this text is saying that when we look upon God's love and ponder upon it, then that love will drive away all our fears. Now, I need to share with you that there are fears out there which are caused by physical diseases such as neurasthenia, which can be healed by proper natural remedies. But the many fears that we're seeing today are caused by the sins and abuses of others against us. And these fears can only be healed by the dwelling upon God's love for you and me. What else does fear have? Look at 1 John 4, verse 18. Continue on and it says this. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out what? Fear. What do you say? Amen? Because fear has what? Torment. There's something about fear that torments or punishes. You see, when you have fear, it limits you. If you have the fear of coming up and speaking, it limits you. We have the fear of coming up and singing for the Lord. You have fear of going to a home and sharing. You have a fear of sharing God's love with your neighbor. It limits you. It paralyzes you. It torments you. Then every decision that you make is driven by fear. Thus, whenever this happens, there is no joy, only torment. Today, we are living in a society of fear. The fear of being hurt. 
the fear of dying, the fear of terrorism. But where is love found? Look in your Bibles in 1 John 4, verse 10. 1 John 4, verse 10. I love this text. 1 John 4, verse 10. Notice what it says here. Here in his love. In other words, if you want to find where love is, that will cast out all fear out of your life because we're looking for a solution. What do you say? Amen? So we're looking for the solution. How do we find this love that can cast out the fear in all fear of our life? Notice it says here. Here in his love. That we love God. Is that what it says? Are you sure? Don't you always hear about people saying, you know, you need to love God? Have you heard that before? Is that where love is found? Us loving God? How about hearing His love that we love one another? Is that important? But is that where love is found? Love is not found in us loving God. Love is not found in us having to love God. Love is not found in us, us loving each other. Though those are important and those are reflected of the Ten Commandments. But there's something that must happen before we love God. There's something must happen before we love each other. And that's something that's found in 1 John 4 verse 10. It says this, Herein is love. If you want to find love, here is how you're going to find love. Not that we love God. What do you say? Amen? It's not in you loving God. That's not where you're going to find love. You don't find love by you loving God. That's not where love is found. If you want to find love, not that we love God, but that He loved us. What do you say? Amen? If you want to find what love is, it's not found in what you can do. And not found what you loving God, how noble and beautiful and honorable that is. That is where not love is found. Love is found by beholding God's love. Look at Desire of page 480. Notice what it says here. They behold the Savior's massless love. Now, behold and look upon God's love revealed throughout his pilgrimage on earth from the manger of Bethlehem to Calvary's cross, and the sight of him attracts, it softens and subdues the soul. Love awakens in the heart of the beholders. What do you say? Amen? In other words, as you behold and you look upon God's love, then something happens in your heart. It changes, and all of a sudden, you then begin to then love God. You cannot love God on your own. It's impossible. You cannot get that love to cast out fear in your hearts on your own. It's impossible. If I were to preach you a sermon in this end before I presented this text, it would be impossible. You go out and try to live a fearless life by God's love, and you're not going to get it. But this text, I believe, is key for us to understanding God's love. 1 John 4, 19 says that we love because He first loved us. What do you say? Amen. And in Zavages, page 22, inside your handout, again it says, Only by love is love awakened. To know God, His love, right, is to love Him. What do you say? Amen. That is how. In other words, the only way we can love God or others to cast out all fear is by looking how much God loves us. And we focus upon how much God loves us. Love will awaken within us, and then we'll be able to love God and others. And we have this, we'll cast out all fear. I want fear to be cast out of my life. What do you say, amen? And when fear is cast out of your life, and then that temptation comes again, where like you had that fear to be caught again, to be found out for what you had done, and when you had that fear to be known of that, what you have done, and that temptation to lie, 
so that you don't have to face that fear comes into your mind once again. You know this, that here in his love, focus on God's love and fear will be cast out of your heart. What do you say, amen? And that root cause will flee and then you have victory over that sin. And what do you say? And that addiction. What do you say, amen? That is the root cause of sin. A fear of want, which is really pride, trying to fulfill what you really desire and covet in your life and selfishness. So what does love practically look like? Turn to Psalms 46, verse 1 to 2. Psalms 46, verse 1 to 2. This is a text that really has helped me in my own walk. What does love practically look like? What does it look like? This is how you overcome to God's love. It says here, God is our refuge Number one, strength. Number two, a very present help in trouble. Number three, therefore, will not we fear? What do you say, amen? In other words, these three things are powerful. First of all, God is our refuge. Whenever there are hardships, trials, or pain, if we know that there is someone we can run to for refuge, we feel loved, comforted, and safe, and we're not going to be afraid. What do you say, Amen. Number two, God is our strength, the Bible says here. There's something powerful about knowing that there is a, someone who you can turn to is the most powerful being in the whole world, in the universe, and there's security in this strength. And when we have this security of strength, we would not fear. And lastly, knowing that we have a very present help in trouble is extremely comforting. You see, no one likes to go through suffering alone. No one likes to go through pain alone. And no one wants to die alone. And one of the towns where I pastored, there was actually a member of another church who actually was dead for a whole week before someone found him. And the family lived in the very same town. Can you imagine you're dying there on the ground? You fell on the ground and you're breathing. <sighs> Your very last breaths and no one is there with you. Can you imagine how painful emotionally that must be? In your handout, Desire of Ages, page 87 says, the human heart longs for sympathy and suffering. In other words, the heart is made for sympathy. We're made for someone to be there with us, to sympathize with us. And this longing, Christ fell to the very depths of his being. Now, Jesus understands what you're going through. What do you say, Amen. On the cross of Calvary, he understood that no one was there with him. He longed his disciples to be there with him, but none of them was there with him. It's a very sad feeling to die all alone. To be abandoned by God. A young girl shared with me recently that she went through some horrible experiences in her life. And as she went through these horrible experiences in her life, she actually said that she felt completely abandoned by God, as if God wasn't even there for her. And when God is not there for you, guess what happens? Fears will flood your mind. The moment you let go of God and the God was, has abandoned you, is not there for you, all types of fears are going to flood into your mind and you will have an unsound mind. And all kind of problems happen in her life and all kind of issues and, and emotional pain began to swell up in her life one after another because the moment she lost hold and blamed God for everything, and felt abandoned by God. That's why this text is powerful. When we know that God is ever-present near us, then all fear will disappear. What do you say, amen? And that's what God wants us to experience. And so we come to Israel. They went to the wilderness, remember? And they wanted to go back to the leeks and onions of Egypt and wanted to experience it back then. 
And then finally, after 40 years, God had to bring emotional healing to Israel because they've been abused and hurt and wounded. And God had to take all fears out of their life, and God was healing them. And after 40 years, they finally got it right. And finally, they were told Joshua went around Jericho, remember, and marched around. And what happened when they marched around Jericho to the walls? The walls what? They fell down and came crashing to the ground. It took them 40 years to have their minds restored back to them. And God restored to them their identity and had taken away all the fears that slavery had created. You see, the walls falling down was just a reflection of what God had already done in their hearts. For the walls that they had built up around their hearts to protect them from being hurt again because as slaves they were being hurt and wounded and they had fear of being hurt again. So they built these walls around their heart and that they would never be hurt again. But God had taught them through those 40 years to trust Him once again to learn what love was, to learn what intimacy was really all about. That's what God was wanting them to experience in their heart. And many of us have been hurt, maybe from our parents, and we've been hurt by them, and we built walls around our heart. Maybe we've been hurt by our boyfriend or girlfriend and what they have done for us and how they have hurt us in our lives. And we built up walls around our heart. We keep building these walls all around our heart to protect us from being hurt. But God, what God wants to do, He wants us to learn in the same way that we can also let our walls fall to the ground. What do you say? Amen? We can allow ourselves to trust again. We can allow ourselves anew and learn anew what love really means. We can experience intimacy all over again. What I'm seeing when I'm traveling, especially talking to our young people, they've been so hurt, they've been so wounded, they've been, the trust has been broken, so much so that there is a hunger in the United States for intimacy, unlike ever before. And why that's so? Because sin has abounded and the love of many will wax cold. Because we've been sinned against, not only sinned, but sinned against. Our walls have been built around our hearts to protect our hearts from being broken. And this generation is a broken generation. They don't know what love looks like because they've never seen it in a home, neither in a church. Yes, there are churches out there to have, and yes, there are homes out there too, and I praise God for those home and churches. What do you say, amen? But for the most part, there's brokenness and hurt, and because they've been so hurt and wounded, they live in a fear of being hurt again. They live in a fear of what their, their friends think about them, so much so that even on Facebook, if the father tell them to do something, they were ignored. But when the father posts something about what the daughter did on Facebook, that daughter would rather commit suicide and face death than face the fear of what their friends think about them. This generation lives in a generation of fear unlike ever before. And this nation lives in a system of fear as we've never seen before because of terrorism. And Satan is getting prepared for the last days because he's generating fear in everyone's minds. And because of fear, the hearts of many will fail. And that's what Satan wants. He wants you to, your heart to fail. But praise God, there's a wonderful God that can heal us. What do you say? Amen? My question for us today is the same. Will you also march around the walls that you created to protect your heart? Will you allow the walls around your heart to come crashing down so that fear may go away? Is my question. What do you say? Amen? I'm no different. I guess I started young in dating, and when I 
You know your first boyfriend or your first love experience? How many of you guys remember your first love experience? Let me see a hand out there. Come on, don't leave me hanging. Come on, let's see it. Amen, amen. <laughs> I see people pushing each other's hands up there. Man, I thought I was in love. Like, pff, this was it. 14 years old. <laughs> this was the one. So here I was, 14 years old, in love, and being, you know, doing everything wrong because you don't know how to do it right. And then to see that time you went out with some friends, a whole bunch, and you didn't have a car yet, but somebody comes along at 15 years old and he has an old car, but at least he has a car <laughs> driving it. And then you see the affections of the one whom you love starts turning from you to another person with the car. <laughs> I got my license the next year. <laughs> Can you imagine the pain? How many of you feel my pain? Let me see your hand out there. <laughs> Amen. So here I am with this pain and my first love experience. I'm losing this first love experience. And what happens? I build this little wall around my heart. So next time it won't be hurt so much. The so next time I give it away. Because I'm going to give a little bit less away the next time, right? Because I have fear. Then I'm sure my home environment kind of built a little bit more wall. And so then I'll come like, well, I need to protect my heart. So now I'm just going to go out and because I don't want to be hurt, I'm just going to start dating people, right? And so much for this C word called what? Commitment, right? Because once you have commitment, because once you step into that realm of commitment, the more you commit and say that C word, that if you do get hurt again, you're going to get really hurt. So let's kind of play and date and everything, and let's not have any commitment. You ever heard that before? Let me see your hand if you've heard that before. Let's not even get married, and let's kind of live together, because, you know, I don't want to take that risk, because this hurts way too much. So I continue on in my life, and just kind of building walls. And then, I was in college, my summer after my freshman year in college, this was the one. started dating. It didn't feel like it was the one at first, but after a while I started seeing each other and hanging out so much, we started seeing each other for, and we dated for, for three and a half years, pretty much a whole college experience, or three years. And I was going through this whole experience um, right before I finished school. It's like almost like because you don't want to hurt your heart, because you don't want your heart to be hurt, you have that fear that drives you, right, that paralyzes you, you don't want to open up, right? And you, what the very thing you think that's going to protect you is the very thing that actually destroys your relationship in the end. Do you know that? Because you become, you become closed. You become on the mask. You don't open your heart up because you don't want to get hurt. So because you don't do that, it actually ruins the relationship even more. And so that's how I live my relationship with this next girlfriend. And, and we were just always fighting and arguing and just yelling. And it was just a horrible experience. I was just looking back. And I mean, we wasn't even converted back then. But we were just kind of going through this whole experience. And I just wanted to protect my heart. And it got worse. I closed it off more. And then it happened again. But she ended up cheating on me with one of my good friends. And it was very intimate in their relationship. And not only that was not only bad that hurt me. It was the worst thing that she was starting to lie to me 
You know, the pain of being deceived and hurt is bad enough. But then to add on top of that, to be, to be lied to over and over, and to believe the lie because you want to believe it, but you're not sure, right? You're giving the benefit of doubt and to be lied over and over. I mean, then what, guess what happens to my heart? I started building more. My wall became higher and higher. And after a while, I came to the point where I don't even care what people think anymore. I don't care if I hurt them anymore. Why? Because I didn't want to open my heart to anyone else anymore. I became more inward and selfish because I want to protect myself. And I didn't know any way out. I only lived in fear, a constant fear of being hurt. God's amazing because it was that horrible experience that at the age of 22, I turned to God. What do you say, amen? I'm one who turned to God because of broken relationships. I guess that's why I focus on relationships. And God had to teach me all over again. When I got married, you know, I had still issues. For, you know, you think that you're healed at being a Christian, but God still has issues in your life because God wants to show you something called sanctification. What do you say, amen? Well, God actually reveals to you in your heart the dark areas of your life where you need to be healed. And God was healing me. He's teaching me to learn to trust again. He's teaching me to learn to love again. And he's teaching me to learn to experience intimacy all over again. I hunger for intimacy, and you hunger for intimacy because you were created for intimacy. The most important thing for me is, is relationships. I value my friendships. I value the intimate times where we can open our hearts to one another. That, to me, is very, very beautiful. Fear is our enemy which enslaves us. It infects us and drives us to sinful thoughts and actions. But love, on the other hand, is the only power capable of setting us free. Free so that we experience healing of the mind, healing of the body, and healing of our relationships. Besides leading us to sin, fear also leads us away from God. For when Adam and Eve were afraid of God, they ran away from God rather than running to Him to comfort them. Love does the opposite. Pure love draws us towards God and changes our hearts to have the same pure love that God has. And it's this perfect love that would dispel fear out of our lives. I want that. How about you? What do you say? Amen? This morning, I'm going to close with a song, an appeal song by Cece. There is a friend. There is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. What do you say? Amen? Amen? A friend that loves us so much. This whole weekend is about freedom. And beloved, guess what? Freedom is a powerful message. What do you say? Amen? Amen. Freedom is a very powerful message. People are hungering for this freedom message. And today is a day of freedom. Freedom from the slavery of sin. Freedom from the slavery of addictions. Freedom from the slavery of fear. And Jesus has come to set the captives free. For the Son of Man, therefore, shall make you free, and you shall be free indeed. What do you say, amen? And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And Christ has come to set us free. And he sets us free not by this kind of divine act which he does, but we must experience and see his divine love for you and me. What do you say, amen? I want to see that. How about you? For every heart that has been broken, every tear that has been shed, then all these pains and dreams that you leave wondering, hopes and dreams leave you wondering if there's really anyone who cares. There's a God, a friend closer than a brother who'll be there every step you take. 
through every trial, through every tribulation, his faithfulness will be your strength. What do you say, amen? What a wonderful God, an ever-present help in trouble, that he's always there next to you. We serve a wonderful God. What do you say, amen? I'm going to make an appeal this morning. An appeal of what we're talking about freedom this weekend. Whatever fear, what is your fear this morning? Where have you been hurt? You say, God, I want, I built walls around my heart. I want to be set free. I'm going to invite you to come. And come to the altar and say, God, here I plead for mercy. I grab onto the horns of the altar like Ajanijah did and he was set free. I invite you to come forward as CC sings. Is anyone here right now? Say, Lord, I want to be set free. I want to experience your freedom. I want to look upon your love so love can set me free from all fears that I have. I want to experience intimacy. Come. Is anyone here right now? Come. Say, God, here, take my life. Is anyone here? Come. Praise God. Amen. Anyone else here say, God, please take, take my life. Heal me of my fears. Send your love, Lord. Help me to behold, hear in his love, to see your love. Praise God. Amen. Anyone else here, Lord, please take my life. Help me to see your love. Help me to see that you're closer than a brother. Praise the Lord. Amen. Praise the Lord, sisters. Amen. Praise God. Amen. Come say, God, please take my life. Do something with me. Please show me a love. I want to experience it. Anyone out there has been like me? And you experience in your heart and say, God, I built these walls up. I didn't know I built these walls up, but I built these walls around and I've chased people whom I love away from me. And I want to experience something in my heart to heal. Come, I invite you, come. Let God watch around those walls that you created and let those walls come crashing down. What do you say, amen? Praise God, Amen. Anyone else want to come and say, Lord, please take these walls down. I want to experience intimacy with you and others I've never experienced. Amen. Praise God. Anyone else? Say, Lord, take us. Take me. Take my life. Praise God. Amen, brother. Praise God. Father, thank you for your goodness, your mercies, and your love. And Lord, we thank you that you want to bring these walls down. You want to take these walls of fear away that we may live in perfect freedom. Deliver us, O oh Lord. And Lord, I pray that you may bless everyone here who came this morning in a special way that you may deliver us from all our fears. And those a special blessing who came forward who said, Lord, I just, I just, need, your, I just need your love in a in a powerful way in our lives, that this perfect love may cast out all fear, Lord. All these ones that came forward, we ask for a special anointing and blessing and outpouring upon them, Lord, that they may go forth fearless in what you want us to do in these last days. And so, Lord, pour upon them, anointing with your, your holy oil. And, Lord, as it runs down their faces, Lord, I pray that they may see a clear picture of your character of love. And we thank you for this perfect love. And so, Lord, we thank you for already hearing and answering our prayers and for being a friend closer than a brother. We thank in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse. 
a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio, and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.